All right, so we're in now episode three of Cutting Room Floor. Specifically, we're talking about politics uh, and in this political season, what does it look like to be kingdom participants? Uh, first time, first episode, we talked about sort of our partisan political environment and what does it mean to be political, the polis, participation in kingdom. Mm-hmm. Second episode, we talked about uh, sort of first century Jewish context and how that might speak in, provide maybe some warning to mm-hmm. us uh, in our per- present political moment. And in this episode, we want to talk more specifically about the Roman context. Mm-hmm. So our context, big picture kingdom yeah. of God, uh, Jewish context, and now Roman context. Mm-hmm. So one of the things when we read Mark and the Gospels, New Testament letters broadly, mm-hmm. there's a lot of words yeah. being used that we just presume in our 21st century American context are just like English words. Totally. But they are rooted in a really important Roman context. Yes. And these words are used almost with significant, they're, they're used in a way that is significant in the first century, totally. given that Roman yeah, context. Yeah, totally. Yes, for sure. So like, just by way of reminder, this is looking at the Roman background in particular. Again, these all these terms have connotations back to the Jewish scriptures as well, and they have a kind of an eye towards this Roman background that we're going to address as well. So there's a lot of kind of moving pieces yeah. if you're a first century reader or hearer yeah. of these texts. And in particular... But appropriately so. Appropriately, right? oh, totally. Because everyone has like a people group generally, yes. whether it's ethnically or culturally that they participate in, that also has like large uh, worldwide mm-hmm. or national context. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is... It's always totally. These it's all they're pieces. all together for sure. Yeah, and I think maybe a good place to start is kind of where we've been in in our recent past. If you're here with us at Wellspring, is like the very first line of Mark's gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's two words in particular that, if you're having the Roman background kind of glasses on, really leap off the page. And the first, I'm going to kind of go in order here: the Son of God, or in reverse order, the Son of God okay. as a descriptor of Jesus, okay. and then that word gospel. And let me kind of just address both of those yep. kind of in turn here. So let me just, so like I'm showing up to the text. I read Son of God. Mm-hmm. Maybe I grew up in the church and I think, oh yeah, he's the son of the father, the Trinity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. But I have no awareness uh, that it's been used in many other ways. Many other ways. At yes. That at that time. Exactly. And Son of God in particular was a title, the exact phrase, that exact grouping of words was used to describe Caesar Augustus okay. and used to describe Rome's rulers as they were considered son of the God or son of God. Yeah. And so when Mark comes like right out of the like gate, a deity. Like, yeah. Like ex- hey, you like for sure, you are a political figure who is God. Exactly. In some ways. Or like, I don't know. How would you say that? Uh, it's like a deification, deification of someone who has a ton of earthly power. Yeah. And so when Mark comes right out swinging from the gate, he tells you, the reader, this is who I believe Jesus to be. He's the Christ. He's the son of God. And that title, that phrase, son of God, would have just leaped off the, leapt off the pages or the, the come, come ring into the ears of his yeah. hearers going, hold on a second. I've heard that phrase described or used to describe Augustus, used to describe Caesar. Yeah. So from the very get-go, Mark's gospel in particular seems to me have at least some sort of like pushback or we might use the phrase prophetic witness against kind of the Roman political ruler of, of the day. Yeah, You pick up this scroll, this pamphlet, this piece of paper, you're walking around Rome, you're like, son of God. Mm, yeah. Mm, I thought... And then you start to wonder, Yes, what is this pamphlet? What, what is, is this? this story? Exactly. And this kind of relates to, as you say, story. 
the idea of gospel. So again, Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel, the euangelion, or the good news of yeah. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Gospel, we yeah. just, again, import like that's like a religious word. That's how I get saved. I'm a sinner. Yes. Uh, Jesus forgives me. I just need to confess my sins, and I'll be welcomed into his family. Yeah, that's, which... Like yeah, the kind of, of what that we import that into yeah. that word. Again, it's not necessarily all completely yeah. wrong, like you mentioned before. No. It's it's a central element of the gospel. Sure. But we're talking right now about the Roman context. Yes. So again, if you're you know you know John Mark or whoever writing this yeah. in the first century, and you write the word gospel or you hear the word gospel, again, you've heard that phrase or you've heard that word before as it's been applied to Caesar and in particular his war generals. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes. And most of the time, whenever like Caesar or one of his generals would win some massive victory or some massive battle, an announcement would go out, a gospel would go out, kind of proclaiming that that news. And if you're on the Roman side, it's good news. If you're not on the Roman side, yeah. it's obviously bad news. It's like some Germanic tribe. Yes. And then they'd conquer this area. Then they'd send a bunch of Romans yes. there and basically say, we've colonized. We've bought yes. the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana, exactly. Right? We've brought the Roman peace mm -hmm. to these barbarians. Exactly. And so that was... This idea that, okay, so Mark is writing a different good news, contrary to that Pax Romano, that false piece, at least if yeah. you're Mark in this particular case, that's attributed to Caesar and kind of his sort yeah. of leadership structure. So line 1-1, you have an alternative son of God, mm -hmm. and it's sort of a, a deity yes. challenge. Yes. And you also have a challenge to what is good news. What is good news, exactly. Literally wine one one. Right from the very beginning. And kind of even just kind of very briefly here, not only was that good news, that word gospel used for when Caesar went to battle, but it was also used when he was born. Yeah. So like the good news of Caesar, we have a, a new ruler now in yeah. town when Caesar was born in, in like 9 BC. Yeah, kind Caesar of just Augustus. Augustus, exactly. And so again, so much is loaded into this, that one verse. And then Mark's going to, we're not going to go through the whole gospel here. But Mark's just going to kind of unpack what it looks like for Jesus to be the true son of God who brings the true good news. And all the assumptions, we've kind of talked about this in the, in the previous episode, get challenged along the way. Mm -hmm. But a, one of those ways those assumptions are being challenged is not just only to the Jewish expectations, yeah. but to the Roman cultural expectation, the Greco-Roman cultural expectations that Jesus was kind of in and ended with mm -hmm. as he's speaking to the, the audience of his day. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of a good place to kind of see okay. and start with kind of what exactly we're talking about with the Roman background in particular. Now, there's a couple other things to, to note as we think about this in particular is that there's also some of these, again, religious words like even calling God Father hmm. would have been another one of those things that would have pushed a little bit against kind of the Roman Empire and, and its hmm. background. So to think of Augustus and the empires who, emperors who succeeded him were all given the title Father of the Fatherland. And so when Jesus is asked, you know, what, why do you call God father? You're not to call anyone else fathers. Only, you only have one father who's in heaven, Matthew 6 and Matthew 23. Some people think, R. Allen Street wrote this great book, Caesar and the Sacrament, says it makes the case that what Jesus is doing there is telling them, his disciples and the audience in particular, is that you're not to call anyone father on earth because you already have a father who is in heaven mm. with kind of an eye towards Caesar. That Caesar is not the father of this land. God, the father who is in heaven, is father of this land. Um, kind of another one, thinking about like baptism in particular, so this is like early first century Christian practice, is that this was has uh, connotations and kind of overlap with some Roman practices as well. And when Christians were being baptized, what they were saying is that their allegiance is to Jesus as Lord and not to Caesar, mm -hmm. which gets at that stock phrase in Paul's letters in particular, Jesus is Lord or Christ is Lord, so something along those lines. 
that phrase, Caesar, Jesus is Lord, it was like a copy and paste of the Roman phrase, Caesar is Lord. Hmm. So pretty much every time you read in the New Testament, and Paul's letters in particular are great at this, is that when Paul describes Jesus as Lord, as like kind of his summary of the good news in, in many ways, what he's probably doing kind of very gently and very kind of uh, subtly, if you will, is he's kind of pointing a finger to Caesar and saying, you're not Lord. Hmm. Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. So let me sort of come back to 21st century America and elections coming mm-hmm. up. What I'm hearing you say is like, there is this sort of recognition as the gospel is going out, as Jesus's kingdom is growing, our constituents are sort of joining the movement. There's this sort of like challenge mm-hmm. towards the power, political, specifically power, political, politically powerful, political authorities mm-hmm. um, saying, hey, like we see you, but you're not the Lord. You're not. Yeah. Like, and we, we submit our allegiance is to Jesus, mm-hmm. who is the true king of the kingdom that shapes our political For participation, sure. our polis, our practice. For sure. And that's where we're going to direct or get our direction. Exactly. Something. I mean, Some, that, yeah. Oh, totally. For sure. Because I think what we're trying to unpack here, what I'm trying to unpack here is this very, by looking at the Roman, Greco-Roman background to the New Testament writings, what we see is the New Testament writers kind of subtly and maybe not so subtly, depending on how you want to yeah. look at it, like, challenging. They do, most of them get killed. Yeah, they get killed. So like so, it wasn't like that all that subtle. subtle. <laughs> they're, they're very much challenging the, the power and the authority that Rome claims to have over yeah. people in particular. Well, Jesus even talks about this, yes. right? Like, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the Gentiles. He calls Herod a fox at one point. Go yeah. tell that fox. When he's uh, in dialogue with Pilate, right before he's about to be crucified, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And some pe- people take that to mean like, that means God's kingdom is about going to someplace else. But what Jesus is actually saying there in that scene is my kingdom is not of this world, meaning Pilate, my kingdom is not like your kingdom with power and coercion mm. and just domination over people. Mm. My kingdom is, is a different kind of kingdom and I'm challenging yeah. that kind of idea of kingdom yeah. in that moment. And Jesus gets crucified with a crown of thorns on his head and a label or a plaque above him, king of the Jews. And so there's this kind of irony, even in the crucifixion scene, of a redefinition of what it means to be king and what it means to be under the kingdom, where it's also a prophetic challenge and witness to Caesar and Pilate in the Roman kind of enterprise of the day. I I can't cite chapter and verse, but Jesus also says, like, don't be like the Gentiles Mm -hmm. who lord Lord it over lord it power authority over you. But serve. Serve, yeah. And so when that's in Mark's gospel, and so in like in Mark 10, he gets at that idea. Yeah. And then he goes off right off the heels of that to say, I have not come to be served, but to serve yeah. and give my life as a ransom, as a ransom for many. Yeah. So that's right in the middle of Mark 10 there. Yeah. And there, that's, again, part of the overall flow of even Mark's gospel in particular, yeah. is as Jesus is kind of challenging and redefining the ideas of messiahship, kingship, kingdom of God, he's doing, yes, a challenge to his Jewish audience, but he's also doing a challenge and a redefinition and a prophetic witness to kind of the Greco-Roman audience of the day and saying, no, this is what it looks like to be truly king, to suffer, to live in in such a way that I give my life for the benefit of others, not lording it over you, With, with power over, but yeah. kind of use the, the lingo, kind of the technical lingo of today, but power under, yeah. coming underneath people yeah. to serve. 
And that would have been a radical challenge and a radical yeah. kind of confrontation in the best sense of that term towards Rome and its ideals yeah. and its practices. So in some ways, like as we're reading the Gospel of Mark, but the New Testament more broadly, like there is a profound prophetic witness to power and authority mm-hmm. and how it's used. Exactly, yes. Uh, so then to our political moment, like we should be a people. It seems like you're saying, mm-hmm. and I think the New Testament gets at that, the challenges, yeah. earthly powers, that we should never be like so enamored mm-hmm. with a political leader, yeah. a political power that we're like, oh, I'm 100% in. Because mm-hmm. yeah. like, there's never perfect alignment. There's never like, perfect there's alignment. There's always yes. this prophetic challenge mm-hmm. because it's there's never a perfect alignment between the earthly political power and the kingdom of God. Yeah, exactly. And in particular, the way that people, humans that are sinful, use power will never fully align with how Jesus uses his power mm. to give his life for his people. Yeah. And I think that's one of the warnings the New Testament is giving us as it's challenging kind of the power structures of the day and by implication for us as we kind of adopt that and apply that to our kind of mm. modern context is to recognize that there's only one leader who will fully give his life for the benefit of of, of others, and that's mm. Jesus. Yeah. And that no political ruler will ever do that for you. Yeah. And I think that is a huge thing that often gets kind of overlooked in these discussions is that what it means to be political is to be a prophetic witness, recognizing that earthly power does not do power fully in the way of Jesus. Hmm. And that Jesus is modeling a different kind of political power yeah. when, to use the language from Philippians 2, that he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Like, I'm not going to hoard, hoard on to my power and privilege. But he, Jesus, Paul says, Philippians 2, emptied himself and became humble, a man, become obedient to the point of death, even death mm. on a cross. And I think that kind of inverse, kind of redefinition of power yeah. is what not only what we're called to be as, as Christians, but we're called to kind of with eyes kind of wide open recognize that more often than not, the power structures of our day do not do power in the way that Philippians 2 defines power in the way of Jesus. Yeah. And to just be aware of that yeah. and to not, like you just mentioned, go full board like, all my chips are in the bag with so-and-so political leader or yeah. so-and-so political idea yeah. because that's just not the way of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't mean we don't participate totally. in American political structure, but we recognize that there's never been a, a nation, an empire in the history of creation mm-hmm. that is perfectly aligned yeah. with God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that the, there's a there's a move that happens, I think, especially in our cultural moment where they're trying, there's this sense of getting, trying to get our hearts and our minds and our allegiance on board with their agenda. Yeah, yeah. And we need to be a people that are aware that sinful people with power often do messed up mm-hmm. things. Totally, yeah. They're not Jesus. They're not Jesus, totally. Um, and we need to be aware of that mm-hmm. as we enter into uh, this political season. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an invitation, too, to be a prophetic witness. Yeah to all politics, for sure, pro- political governments, politicians to say, yeah, that's not exactly the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Totally. This is our way. This is exactly. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Thanks, man.